this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Well, if you're new or visiting, my name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, go and open up to Matthew chapter 6. Give me the book of Matthew chapter 6. You don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It's on the screen behind me throughout the service. But once again, I'd always encourage you to bring the text yourself so you can read through it yourself because we'll be studying that together every single week. So today, today we begin our time in the section on the Sermon on the Mount that has historically been called by the church the Lord's Prayer. And now most of us are somewhat familiar with this prayer, even if you didn't grow up in church, even if that's not your background, you're probably familiar with phrases like our Father who art in heaven, it's always in Old English, but that's how we hear it. It's seeped into our culture in such a way that you're familiar with it. And so the Lord's Prayer, we're gonna go very slowly through it in the hopes that this time as a church together would make prayer more prominent in your life and more prominent in the life of this church. That, that we would be a people who have this deep understanding, this deep belief, and an actual consistent and fervent practice of prayer. Because of all the different aspects of what it means to know God, to be loved by him, and to love him in return, none is more essential than prayer. None is more essential than prayer. But we collectively, we have a very complicated relationship with prayer. For, for all the conversation about America becoming more and more post-Christian, which it is, for all of that that's happening, the vast majority of Americans, according to a survey done by Barna in 2017, over 80% of people in America still pray. Now, not all of them Christians, but for all of our technological and scientific advancement, there's still this impulse in us to want to speak to a power, speak to an authority, speak to some deity for help and comfort. And for all of the world's secularization, what you see around the world and around the globe is we're only getting more religious, more spiritual, not less. People can't help in some ways but to attempt to pray. So almost everybody's praying, but for all the people praying, how many people truly believe that prayer is effective? Right, there are plenty of people who are praying that as they're praying, they think in their heart of hearts that what I'm saying is not going to change anything. Like I'm praying, but nothing in me really believes things are gonna be different because of that. Have you ever had that experience where you've prayed and it just feels like you're praying to the ceiling? Like you're praying and your words are coming out of your mouth, but nothing in you really thinks it's gonna happen. Nothing about it feels special or seems special. And even as you're praying, you're already getting anxious because you're realizing, I don't believe anything's gonna happen and for this to change in my life, I have a lot I'm gonna have to do. So everyone's praying and everyone's not praying at the exact same time. And for all of this, if you're a Christian in here, for all of this, we have an even more complicated relationship with prayer because we know we should do it and yet we struggle so much with it. Like for many of us, just talking about prayer, it just brings up guilt, it brings up shame because we know we should pray more than we do. 
For others of you, the idea of prayer, it brings up this weariness because you may have seen God say yes to a couple of things, but you wonder, why did he say yes to that? But I've been praying for this other thing he has said no to repeatedly over and over again. Or prayer, honestly, it's just confusing for you. It's a little weird, like you don't know what to say when you pray, so you end up praying the same things over and over again. And if you're a Christian, you've probably heard someone tell you how powerful and how refreshing and how satisfying and how rich prayer can be. But if you're honest, I'm not saying that you could be, but I'm saying if you were honest, you'd have to admit, that has not been my experience. I hear you describe prayer as this thing, but I've tried it, and that hasn't happened for me. Jesus knows your struggle, my struggle with prayer. And I know that he knows our struggle because in his teaching on prayer, do you know how he begins his teaching? By telling you how not to pray. He starts by teaching on the Lord's Prayer. He begins with examples of how not to pray. He doesn't assume that you're a blank slate when it comes to prayer. He actually assumes you're gonna tend to settle for dysfunctional forms of it. So here's the main point today. If you're you're taking notes, you're thinking, what's the main point today that I'm walking out with? here, Here it is. In prayer, we're tempted to settle for a show or technique when God the Father wants a relationship. We tend to settle for a show or for technique when God the Father wants a relationship. Let's read Matthew 6.1. This introduces the entire section that Jesus is teaching on in the context in which we find ourselves teaching on prayer. Matthew 6.1, he says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He dealt with Generosity last week, this week he's dealing with prayer. He says, verse five, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you, when, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus uses the prayers of the hypocrites and the Gentiles to illustrate for you and for me how not to pray. He's gonna use them to contrast it. Here's how not to pray. In light of that, here's how you should pray. Now, when you read this, I doubt many of us go, I'm just like the hypocrites, or I'm just like the Gentiles. But as we look today, I think you're gonna realize you and I are a lot more like them in our prayers than we realize. So let's look at the hypocrites first. Verse five, here's the main point. First point, don't make prayer a show. Don't make prayer a show, verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this is the same group of people that Jesus publicly corrected last week on their giving to the poor. And turns out they pray just like the way they give. 
whether they're in the synagogue or in the streets, they are praying to God in order to be seen by other people. They're not after God in their prayers, not after his presence or his kingdom or his will. They are praying so that people may see them. Their words may be addressed to God, but it's sentiment, not substance. It's cultural, not spiritual. They're after praise of other people. And Jesus says that's all that they'll get. Now, quickly, Jesus is not indicting public prayer with this rebuke, not at all. Public and corporate prayer is an important part of our faith and all over the Bible. But here's his point, listen. Here's his point. Your public prayers are only as sincere as your private prayers. Your public prayers are only as sincere as your private prayers. Here's what I mean. The way you pray in front of other people is only as authentic as it is a reflection of the way you pray privately when no one hears you. Your public prayers are only as authentic as they mirror and match the way you pray when no one can hear you. Now, most of us in this room, you're not gonna do this in the same way the hypocrites did. Honestly, this example would indict leaders like me before it would indict the majority of our church. Like, like if anyone should be warned by this example, it should be me and the people who inhabit this stage and anyone who's in front of our church in any form, in any fashion. But while most of you are not gonna be tempted to get up on a stage in front of other people and pray in a way you don't pray privately, we are all still tempted to modify our public prayers to make them look much more spiritual than they truly are in private. All of us are tempted to do that. So let me give you a couple of questions to inspect this in your heart. So maybe get get out of just like passive listening to a sermon mode and kind of engage what I'm saying here. Think about, is there any discrepancy in how you pray? So here's the first question. Does the language and vocabulary of your prayers change when you're around other people? Does your language and your vocabulary change when you're praying in front of other people? When you pray by yourself, do you say glory of God all the time? Do you talk about God being glorified when you're by yourself or is that something you do in public? Do you normally quote scripture when you pray by yourself? Or is that just so that we know that you know it? Do you normally pray with that sort of passion? That sort of excitement? Like if we were to go to your house and you were praying by yourself, would we hear a similar volume level? A similar zeal? Do you really pray for other people like that? Like, do you, by yourself, do you pray for that justice issue? Do you pray that they would believe in Jesus? Do you pray for that national event? I mean, on and on, I could go different questions. I, you could ask yourself to go, is there a discrepancy? And if you're honest, you're gonna find something. I've, I've found things this week where I can see myself posturing in public in ways that I don't pray in private. Now, before you start hating yourself or defending yourself, right, depending on your personality type, hear me out. Listen, sometimes, sometimes you pray differently in public just because you're nervous. Sometimes you're just nervous and you're like in your Christian circle and that's what we do and people are praying in a circle and you can like see like, it's three people away from me, two people away from me, what am I gonna say? Do I have anything? <laughs> Lord, you know, like I'm praying for my prayer, right? 
It's just coming my way. I can feel it. And so you get nervous, and so you say, Lord, Father, God, before every sentence for some reason, you're like, I don't know why I keep calling you that. He's like, I know my name. You can quit calling me it. Like, I'm aware of our dynamic here. But yes, Lord, Father, God, baby Jesus. Like, how, how do I do this, right? So maybe you're just nervous. That's understandable, right? And maybe for others of you, you're, you there's just a discrepancy, not because you're nervous, but because you just don't think that well out loud, and actually you would actually write a prayer better. So maybe you just write, you go, hey, guys, just read this for me out loud. I've written it for you. Good readers in here, like that, maybe that's you. Or maybe there's a discrepancy because honestly, you're trying to stretch yourself. Yeah, you, you don't normally p- pray for this length of time. You don't normally pray for this topic, but you wanna get around people who do. And so you're trying to grow and you're trying to develop as someone who can pray. And maybe that's why there's discrepancy. Now listen, all of this is true. And all of these are factors to consider, but you also have to admit, sometimes you're just faking it. Sometimes you're just faking. Sometimes you're saying things that are not desires of your heart. You're just saying words that you think everyone else wants to hear. You don't really care about that. I'm just matching the room that I'm in. And you're doing it, and I'm doing it, not consciously, but subconsciously, I'm doing it because I don't want to seem less spiritual than everybody else. I heard that person pray, and I want to sound kind of like them. And you probably never think, I'm going to pray this way so I'll be liked, but really we are praying this way so they won't think less of me. We're being thoughtless in how we pray. I, I can remember a distinct time in my life where I went through all these different things and how I pray to God. Before I came to the stone, this was a while ago, Lauren and I were part of a house church that met here in Austin. And we joined the house church because their primary goal and their focus was to love and serve Arab, Muslim men and women who lived in Austin. And at that point in time, we were planning on moving to a country that was primarily made up of Arab men and women. And so we wanted to be in a church that focused on serving and loving them. I, I gotta tell you, it was the first community in my entire life that taught me how to pray. Like, like they taught me how to pray, how to live on mission. Because what would happen is we would get to, together and just pray, and I would hear how they were praying, and it became very clear to me, oh, I don't pray for other people the way they do. I don't, I mean, I was praying, I I was a Christian, I was praying consistently, but I began to realize a lot of my prayers have to do with me. Like I was praying and by myself privately, but most of my prayers around how how are me and God doing and how's my life? And every now and then I throw in somebody who I was close to and pray for them really quickly, but I could get back to me pretty quick. Most of my prayers centered around me, but here are these people and I'm hearing them pray and they're praying consistently and specifically by name for men and women that we're serving. And and I I mean, they would pray so passionately that these people that they clearly loved would believe in Jesus the way that they did. But it wasn't like, it wasn't a manipulative thing. They weren't doing so they could feel better than them. They were doing it because they really, really loved them. But then they also prayed that this person would get a job. They also prayed that this person would have favor with the government and their immigration issues. 
They also prayed that this person would be healed. They also prayed for this person to have a smooth transition into a new country. They also prayed for this person to make new friends. And they were praying these things, not like this rote sort of reading off a list, like you've had that experience before, you've been, in a, uh, you've been praying for people, like, all right, here's a list of needs, who wants to pray? You're like, I'm gonna pray for uh, Mike uh, Thompson for the thing that he's going through, amen, all right, let's move on. Like, you kind of have that rote sort of Christian prayer thing. No, they were praying like they felt it. They really meant it, they were sincere. And it was such a formative experience for me. But here's what began to happen. I began to pray things that weren't really true from my heart. And a part of it was learning how to pray in this way, but also I didn't wanna seem less spiritual. Like in that season, when I look back, I'm praying things that I don't feel. That my public prayers in that season were much more passionate, much more others focused, much more specific than my prayers were by myself. They're very, very different during that season. My prayers weren't a reflection of faith. I was merely matching the room around me. And this is our temptation in prayer, to not believe there's real power in prayer, but for us to say, I don't even know if anything's gonna happen, but this is primarily show and a sentiment, not substance. This is, this is what we do. We just get together and we pray. Is anything gonna happen? Probably not. We just pray. It's more tradition and culture than it is actually spiritual. And when your public prayers don't match your private prayers, it shows you how faithless you really are. It shows me how faithless I really am. So that's one temptation. As we start praying, but we start just saying words, we don't even know if we mean them. And the other temptation is to turn prayer into technique. So there's prayer as a show and sentiment, and then there's prayer as technique. Look at verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as, a, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. So Jesus introduces a whole new group of people called the Gentiles, other translations say pagans. See, the, the, the hypocrites were a critique of the Jewish culture, and the Gentiles now are, are a critique of non-Jewish people who don't have a theology rooted in the Bible. And Jesus says they heap up empty phrases. The word there means to babble, that they're babbling in order to please whatever deity they're praying to. So what they're doing is they're attempting to impress this deity, and they're attempting to force this deity to bend to their will and give them what they want. See, the difference between this group and the hypocrites is that they seem to think there's actual power in praying. Like, like they seem to think there's real power in praying. See, the hypocrites, they didn't believe there was power. They're just praying for show and for approval and applause. But for these people, they believed there was power, but they believed you had to work to get it. You had to posture yourself in such a way to make sure you got what you want. So for them, prayer wasn't a show. It was a technique to ensure an outcome. And you have to know, this false notion of prayer is everywhere around us. This attempt to turn prayer into a formula, that there's an assumption that there is a way to get God to fulfill every re request you have. That God really does wanna give you what you ask for. It's just up to you to find the secret sort of formula, the secret sort of citation in order to get it. 
that you merely have to figure out the right combination of words and phrases and repetition. So maybe if you just quoted more scripture, maybe if you were a little bit more passionate, maybe if you prayed for longer periods of time, and maybe if you just had more faith, then you'd get what you want. Then God would respond. And this last formula, this last formula of strong faith guarantees a yes from God is so prominent and it's so tempting that there are these streams of Christianity that make it seem that the Holy Spirit of God is truly gonna work through prayer, then you have to have prophetic utterances. You have to have staunch proclamations. You have to have songs and shouts of praise and you have to have a strong enough faith for God to respond yes to every single request. So if you've heard no from him, it's because you're not praying the right way. If you've heard no from him, it's because your faith is too weak. If you just had more faith, you'd hear yes. Now listen, the Holy Spirit, he does give special wisdom. He does give strong conviction in the promises of God. He does uh, prompt incredible faith. He does prompt incredible praise of God. He does all those things. And hear me, he can give you every single one of those things, every ounce of his power, and you still hear no from God. I'm not discounting faith and how it affects our prayers. But it is dangerous, it is destructive, and it is almost damnable to make it seem like God answers prayers solely based on the amount of faith you possess and not according to his own purposes and love for you. Do you know how many desperate people are exploited and crushed by that sort of demonic logic? People who lack power, who lack wealth, who lack health, they're the ones exploited the most by this idea, faith always wins. And God will always say yes, and any lacking in you is a lacking in faith. It crushes the most vulnerable. Because if there was ever anyone who had more of the Holy Spirit, and anyone who had more faith, then it's Jesus, right? This is where your Sunday school answer works. The answer right here is Jesus. There's nobody who has more of the Holy Spirit and more faith and Jesus prayed and prayed and prayed and he heard no in the Garden of Gethsemane. He heard no. Matthew 26, 37. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me, pray with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus earnestly, full of the Holy Spirit, 
full of faith, prayed, God, if there's another way than the cross to save these people, let's do it. He prayed that. If there's another way than receiving the full wrath of God for the sin of his people, let's do it. And the answer from his father in that text is clearly no. No. It's not because he lacked faith. It's not because he lacked the Holy Spirit. It's because God had a plan and a purpose for it. There was no combination of words. There was no amount of words that was going to change God's response. And even though, listen, even though his answer to Jesus would mean greater suffering than you and I can possibly know or imagine, God's love for him was never in question. God's love for him was never in doubt and never lacking because behind the Father's no was a purpose and a plan to exalt him and honor him and love him in even greater ways. But it was in the no. And this leads us to what prayer is. It's not a show. It's not a technique. It's a relationship with God the Father. It's a relationship with God the Father. I'll show you three things about his fatherhood and we'll be done. Verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So first, prayer is the expression of a deep relationship. Listen, that's real even when no one else is around. Prayer is the expression of a deep relationship that's real when no one else is around. There's a really fascinating phrase right there. Look at verse six. He says, pray to your father who is in secret. Now, there's a phrase Jesus is repeating all throughout this sermon. He says, your father sees in secret and he rewards. But right here when he talks about private prayer, he says, your father is in secret. Now, God is everywhere all the time, but he's saying there's something special about your private prayer to him when no one else is there. I think, it's, I think it's this. When it's just you and God, it shows that you have a real relationship with him that's not based on other things. Like your most deep and profound and important relationships in your life are those relationships where you don't need other people around. You don't need tasks to do in order for them to exist, in order for them to thrive. Right, all of you have had those friends where you only really know how to hang out with each other when you're doing something together or a mutual friend is around. Right, like, like you've had those friends where you kind of always hung out with each other, but there's always that mutual friend, always that task to do, and then there's that one night or that one day where it ends up where it's just the two of you and there's nothing to do, that mutual friend isn't there, and you sit down and you kind of realize and go, we have nothing to talk about to each other, right? We're not even really that close. I don't even really like you, why are you here? where you realize, oh, this only really exists if there's something to do together, that this relationship is dependent upon so many other different things. But your deepest relationships, your most important relationships, even if no one's there, there's a connection because it's independent of task, independent of other people. A lot of us, church, a lot of us get alone with God and it becomes very clear how far your heart really is from him. 
That's why you run away from it. We don't want to sit in that silence and get alone and pray because it's genuinely awkward. And it's awkward because you don't really know how to have a relationship with God the Father apart from task, apart from other people, even apart from the church. You, you don't know how to be around him without other people around kind of distracting the fact that you don't really have a strong connection with him. Because there's a way, listen, there is a way to know him in secret that's unique and distinct from the ways you know him publicly. That's what he's saying, your father who is in secret. There's something special, something unique, but the way you know God through private prayer that you can't know him the other ways publicly. Now listen, there are all sorts of ways to address this. And if you realize, I mean, this is me. There's all sorts of ways to address this. We're gonna spend the next eight weeks talking about prayer. But let me just say this. If you're thinking, how, how, how do I get out of that awkwardness that I feel? Just start doing it every day. Just really simply. Just start, make time every day. Find five minutes, 10 minutes, by yourself with your Bible, get to know him. You can read all the books that you want, it can't replace that. You're just gonna have to get to know him on your own and pray to him on your own. So first, it's a real relationship. Second, in this relationship, he rewards and responds to our prayers. Look back at verse six. And your father who sees in secret, he's in secret and he sees in secret, will reward you. Now this doesn't mean, we talked about earlier, saw this in Jesus' life. This doesn't mean he'll say yes to everything. But it does mean he always acts and responds towards our prayers. The reward of prayer, the power of prayer, I think is rooted in this statement. That through prayer, God will either change history or he'll change your heart. Through prayer, he'll either change history, he'll change the circumstances in space and time that you're asking him to change, or he'll change your heart to accept that his plans and purposes are different than yours, that you can trust him. So through prayer, listen, God will change things. Through prayer, he may change the thing that is making you anxious. Or through prayer, he'll change your heart to have peace even in the midst of what you're fearful of. That's what he does through prayer. He does move. Prayer is effective, either in history or in our hearts. He sees and rewards. And lastly, in this relationship of prayer with God, you're talking to an attentive Father, look at verse eight. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need before you ask him. Listen, I want you to understand this. You don't have to prove yourself in prayer. You don't have to prove yourself to him. He already knows. You don't have to tell him all the ins and outs of what you're going through because you don't think he really understands what it feels like to be you and hear no from him. You're sharing not out of vulnerability, but out of really distrust. You don't really get what I'm going through. I'm gonna share with you and say, you don't know how much it hurts to hear no. He's your father. He's been watching you attentively every second of every day. Every second of every day. He doesn't 
just have an intellectual understanding of what you're going through. He's not just a skilled therapist who can unpack your heart and your mind and your story because of all of his expertise and knowledge and skill. He doesn't know your needs and your hurts that way. He knows them not like a therapist, but like a loving father. Like when you're praying, it's not informational for him. He already knows. When you're praying, it's personal for him. It's visceral for him. He doesn't feel it like a therapist dissecting you. He feels it like a father who breaks with you. Your needs affect him. Your hurts affect him. So when you're praying, it's not information, it's personal. He knows what it feels like for you to hear no from him. He knows what it feels like as he says, be patient, wait. It's not lost on him. Some of you right now, you have been praying for things and you have heard no after no, after no, after no, and more than you can even really understand, you are so mad. You're so sad. I want you to know you are in good company if you're here in that place. There are things this past year, things in this church that I have prayed earnestly for. And I don't, I don't mean like haphazard, like I'm in the car on the way to something and I'll say a prayer, God, do this thing for me. I mean, set a time, weep, God, why won't you do this? I mean, I'm praying for things that you want. I didn't make this up. I didn't say this. I'm asking you to do what you said you want to do and you keep saying no. I've had that experience all year this year. And so if you're here and you're thinking, does this church really understand what it's like to hear a no? We know what it's like to hear a no. To pray for things and only see the worst case scenario happen. We know what that's like. This is not some pie in the sky faith where everything works out the way that you want it all the time. It's gritty and it's real, but there's hope in the midst of it. But I don't want you thinking you're at some glib church that takes these things Casually, when I don't realize there are people who've been praying to get healed of cancer that still have cancer in here. You have to know so many of you have felt that no and you don't even know how to be honest the way I just was to God. He's your father. When you're mad, he sees. When you're sad, he sees. He's aware. My children, my, my young children, eight, five, and three, they feel so many things. They request so many things. And listen, and in, my, in, in my best moments, sincerely, I feel all of them deeply. Not in all my moments, because sometimes I'm terrible, but in like my best moments, I feel what they're saying and what they're, and what they're communicating, I, all the highs, all the lows, all the unmet desires, I feel them. And listen, with my kids, because they're young enough for me to know this, I know what they're gonna ask before they do. I really, there's times they're coming to me and I know exactly what Henry is going to ask of me. And I can't tell you how genuinely it hurts to make a decision for them that, that I know is best for them. Like I know is best for them. Like not, not when there's, I mean, there's a lot of decisions I make that I'm not sure I'm making my best discernment. But there are some where I'm like, 
you don't need another fruit roll-up. You've already thrown up. Like, you don't need another fruit roll-up. Like, I know you think you do. This carpet says no, you know? (laughs) Objectively, and I've had them look at me when I've told them no, that I know it's gonna be best for them, and them say, you don't love me. You don't love me. Because in that moment, they think what they really need in a parent, what they really need in the father, is someone who always does what they say. But here's what I'm learning about my kids. I get to know them and what their deep, actual desires are. What my children need most from me is not a yes to every request. It's an actual reality that I see them and I love them and I'm going to do what's best for them no matter what. Do you know how often my kids look at me and say, Daddy, look. How often they say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. I'm like, What? I'm on Instagram right now. Give me a break. <laughs> or read my Bible. Whatever. Doesn't matter. <laughs> read my Bible. Yes, darling. Watch. Look. My kids, at the end of the day, just want to be seen. They want to know they live in a world where their father sees them. And really sees them. We are exactly the same. We're exactly the same. We think we'd be happy if God said yes to everything we ever asked, but it's actually not true. Your deepest longing is to be seen by him, to be known by him, to be loved and protected by him. This is what Jesus came to give us. Because listen, every request you make, you're not wise enough to know what you need. You ask for things that you forget that you've been asked for. And and at the end of the day, you just want him to see you. My son, last night, Henry, literally last night before going to bed, looked at Lauren and goes, Mommy, is there anything you want to say to me? Like, uh, I love you? He's like, yeah, I love you. I was like, okay, buddy. He's like, is my haircut cool? I'm like, your haircut is cool. He just wants to be seen. Here's what I learned about my kids they can, they can be just fine with a spatula and a box for a toy, right? But what can't be replaced is how their parents look at them. What can't re- be replaced is that. And we, all of us in here, you forget, you remember the one time he said no, and you forget the, th- the thousand times he said yes. You have prayed and gotten yes on more things than you can remember. But all our heart remembers is the one time he said no. It's like my kids who say, Daddy, you never buy us anything. Like, I'm throwing it all away right now. <laughs> I'm like, you see all that? That's all garbage. That's where that's going. <laughs> he sees you. And if you're here, and listen, if you're here and you're a struggling Christian or you're not a Christian, do you really believe that's what he's like? That's what he's like. The good news of Jesus Christ is not that you'll always know everything he's up to. The good news is you'll always have access to him. You'll always have access to him. You'll never have to wonder, does he see me? You'll never have to wonder, does he love me? Sometimes you'll wonder, I don't know what he's up to. But you'll never have to wonder if you have access to him. Listen, before God gives us this brand new world, he's gonna do it. 
brand new world of no sin, no suffering, no evil, no death, before he gives us that world, and it's coming, he gives you what you need first and foremost, an ever-present, forgiving, strong, always loving Father. And listen, I know for some of you, the idea of Father is a hard one. Go to the scriptures and let him redeem that for you. Some of you have had awful fathers. He's not like them. He's not disconnected and disengaged. He's actively looking at you. There's never been one time I've said, God, look at me. Do you see me? Am I forgotten where he was ever distracted and said, oh yeah, I am. He's always the one looking at me when I'm distracted. He's the one looking at you when you're distracted. So when you pray, don't settle for a show. Who cares if your prayers are raw and not theological? Be honest. Nobody's impressed. And don't settle for technique that thinks I can just say the right words and bend my Father's will. He's better than that. When you pray, pray because you want a relationship. And ask him for whatever you want. But you know, you know when you can trust him when he says no. Let's pray together. God, Father, the amount of times, God, in this room, the amount of times we have forgotten what you're like is too many to count. The number of times you have felt like a distant monarch and not like a present father is too many to count. And God, in all the ways we've run and all the ways we've hidden from you and all the ways we haven't responded to you, God, you're the one who keeps coming after us. That for all the requests that we make, God, the one that is most deep and most visceral is, God, are you going to take care of me? Father, do you see me? Are you here? Because I don't see you, I see guilt. I don't see you, I, see, I feel shame. I don't see you, I feel lonely. I feel unseen. I feel overlooked. And God, of all the ways that you could express what your fatherhood is like of your people, of all the ways you could make promises to us that you're for us, you did it supremely by sending Jesus to die and to show us that's how far your love goes. That if we ever wonder and we ever doubt and we ever feel distant, we can look to the cross and we can see your promises coming true. That you do see. You are with us. You do know. And you do respond. Father, a lot of us are hurting. A lot of us are scared. A lot of us are weary. And we need you to remind us right now that you see. 
Some of us, for the very first time, we need to pray and ask you to give us faith for the first time. And others of us need to pray for the millionth time. God, give me faith again. Of all the ways you want to be known by us, Father is supreme. So God, in the quiet right now, prompt us to pray quietly and secretly in our hearts, honest things. Do what only you can.